Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Mid-Curve Podcast. Uh, we are here again uh, to bring you the best uh, information and analysis uh, from a group of traders, investors, and uh, semi-degenerates in the world of NFTs and Web3 and DeFi. Um, we are here, as always, with uh, the same group that comes in. My name is uh, Gavin Purcell, also known as Funky Donk. Uh, my background is media and uh, marketing and all sorts of interesting other stuff. And I am also a creator in the space, and I really enjoy um, trading a lot of NFTs. Uh, let's do a quick intro around the, how, around, the, around the horn here before we get started. Um, Grant, you want to give a quick intro to yourself? Hey everyone, uh, my name is Grant. Uh, I come from traditional consulting world uh, and fell purely by chance uh, into NFTs a couple of uh, years ago. Uh, I'm a little bit sick this week. Uh, apologies <laughs> for that. And I'm also, I think, public enemy number one because um, a protocol that I uh, serve as advisor to has unfortunately caused for the first time ever in its history uh, NFT prices to go down. So again, also apologies for that. All right, we're going to definitely get into that later on. Uh, uh, Eric, why don't you give a quick intro to yourself? Hey, guys. Uh, I'm Eric. Uh, I come from TradFi, also similar to Grant, fell into NFTs. Um, about a year and a half ago, I got down a rabbit hole. So now I am basically a full-time DJ. Great. Fantastic. We love to hear that. Uh, giving up on regular jobs for uh, an, <laughs> an unbelievable, uh, insecure future of degeneracy. Okay, everybody, our fourth member, uh, Salty, is here. He's just having some technical difficulties, but his background is he is an academic and has been deep in the DeFi world for quite a, some time. Um, also is our resident uh, Bitcoin ordinals uh, maxi, let's call it. He's definitely uh, still believing in it. Uh, okay, let's start. Let's go, around the, let's go around the table right now and kind of get one word from everybody to see how we're feeling about the market right now. Um, Grant, why don't we start with you? What's what's one word about how you're feeling about the market? Uh, hilarity. <laughs> okay, do, do me give me the like uh, uh, explain it like I'm five version of why hilarity is 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 the word you chose. Well, I think the genesis is is um, stocks taking a dip and and majors in crypto um, doing the thing where they <clears throat> at first show deviation and we think we've. Uh, sort of uh, deviated ourselves or, or detached ourselves from macro and then inevitably they come falling right back down. Uh, and accordingly, we're seeing a little bit of panic in, in NFTs right now. Um, and I've seen <clears throat> a lot of high profile accounts on Twitter uh, make a series of arguments that contradict each other. Um, I think I've heard um, Blur is, is keeping prices too static and therefore there's no <clears throat> volatility and no beta to trade. Uh, so I've heard that, heard that complaint from traders. Uh, Blur is keeping prices artificially high, um, so <laughs> everyone's you know able to unload their their hidden folders uh, on, onto onto bid farmers, which is apparently a, a bad thing. Uh, and thirdly, <clears throat> over the last couple of days, we've obviously seen a little bit of unwinding from the top farmers in the space, and and we've seen you know a little bit <clears throat> a little bit of volatility and downward price pressure on like the blue chips like the the board of yacht clubs uh, of the world and now the complaint is blur is creating this uh, insane downward spiral on our favorite nfts and therefore is evil um so general just hilarity like i don't have the mental capacity to to keep up with all these arguments let alone try and uh, try and argue against them because it's just it's not worth my time and i'm also a little bit sick um so yeah 
that's fair. That's fair. Okay. Uh, let's go to Eric. Eric, what is your one word for the market this week? Okay, whining. Um, oh, oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah, whining. What, what? What's the whining about? Kind of what Grant said. You know, just I, I think there's just been a lot of um, misplaced, um, misplaced aggression towards what's currently happening in the marketplace. Um, so creators are not happy. Traders are not happy. Uh, you know, uh, uh, crypto traders, uh, coin holders are not happy. It, it just seems like we sort of had an improvement in an overall market in terms of better liquidity and better price recovery. But um, in the end, no one's really happy because generally that means less of an edge for active traders, but it also means that um, overall things reached price efficiency very quickly and in a space that still has more speculation than product, um, you know, that price efficiency generally is not very pretty. Okay, Salty, uh, we did a little intro of you earlier. What is your one word for the market this week? Oh, thank you. Thank you for the intro. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, I you always said the right things. <laughs> uh, I'm sure you did. I, I, I always come to class unprepared. You know, I know you're going to ask this, but uh, I've never thought about the answer beforehand. But um, uh, what is the market? Uh, <laughs> Y'all answered NFT stuff already, so I guess I'll give a DeFi-ish one word. But uh, uh, mutable? Let's go with mutable. Okay. Since, uh, Oasis was anti-hacked. And now they're yeah. back to our debates about immutability, which is kind of like the debate about fees. It's perennial and it will never go away. And it's <laughs> the same people talking past each other all the time. Uh, and nothing has changed. You know, the, the, the drama right now is the same. I mean, literally nothing changed. I've been, we're just going through the discussion cycle again. So I don't know if that's the market or the news, but uh, I guess there's not enough in the market for me to talk about something other than the news. Well, I think that's really interesting, and I think we should get into that because I also want to talk a little bit today as somebody who has popped into the coin channel more often than I normally would have in our mid-curve uh, uh, server. I actually think there's some interesting stuff happening on the uh, on the token side that that is is also worth discussing. So we'll get to that in a second. Um, so my one word for the market this week is maturity, and I think that this kind of goes to the opposite a little bit of what Grant was saying. In that, like, obviously, it's the immature conversations that are happening around this, but like, I think Blur and the bidding system and the liquidity that we're seeing right now is a little bit of a growing up of the NFT market. And when I say growing up, um. I mean, looking at a slightly different version of NFTs than we've ever seen before, something that feels a little bit more like a normal financial market. And whether or not it lasts, I think is something I want to talk about in this in this podcast, because I think it's going to be a really interesting thing to see what happens over the next, like, you know, let's say one to three months with Blur and with the NFT market. Um, but I think it's interesting. I think we're I think we're entering a kind of a new stage of NFTs. The fact that, and I also will want to get into this, the fact that you know OSF and and Amanda were able to sell nine point one million dollars of apes and not have the floor move at all is quite a thing. And obviously, since that move happened, you know, whatever three days ago, the floor of Board Ape Yacht Club has dropped significantly and now has bounced again. I kind of want to talk about the idea of how that affects. Um, how that's affected everything. But let's, okay, so let's jump in. I think this is going to be kind of a, the majority of our conversation to start here today, which is, as Grant alluded to, kind of the blur effect on the NFT market and, and what it's been. 
Um, I think Grant, why don't why don't we start with you? And and I, I would like to ask you this question as somebody who is an advisor to Blur, who is investor in Blur, and just disclosures up front. But you know, what is your like kind of overall take? I, I know you you kind of said that the the hilarity is in the is in people's takes on it. But what is your overall take on what Blur has done to the NFT market from your perspective? It's created uh, greater efficiency or potential for efficiency, essentially. Um, and I just, I don't have like a, it's, it's exhausting to, to like parry every single kind of piece of fight or counter argument to it. All I'll say is look at the last year in NFTs and even just ETH based crypto. Like what's, can you remember the last thing that was exciting that attracted new capital and new users, fresh wallets? No. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I would dare say no, right? Yeah. Um, and if you talk about, like, you know, on, on a smaller scale than that, like many narratives, many metas that formed, did they have the opportunity for upward volatility for investors and traders to create profit? Uh, on the non-blur side, you know, 1155, let's, let's look at 6529, right? His factory of memes. Was that not a great trade and a great investment for most people? I would say yes. yes. On, 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 the, on the assets that has exposure to Blur, let's look at, you know, the, the cult or, or the church of Jack Butcher, right? The, the newly anointed sort of pariah, uh, <laughs> not pariah, a cult leader in, in, our, in our ecosystem. Gary Vaynerchuk 2.0. Exactly, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's young Gary. Right, yeah, it's yeah. it's scary without all, all the other baggage of subdocs and whatever the heck else he he pumped. Um, the opepins, the uh, the ch the checks and and the merges, everything else. Um, was there not you know explicit volatility both up upwards and downwards that allowed people to to profit and and you know otherwise engage in in trading in a normal market? Yeah, but other than that, what's you know, what do we have going on for us? And I think that's kind of the main uh, crux of the issue for me, right? Like you're conflating like what's essentially a new utility and a new piece of infrastructure and a new tool for the ecosystem at large uh, with just general doldrums in the market, right? And this is why, you know, you're kind of favorite staple of the podcast funk is to ask us like what are we looking forward to next week and every week i struggle i genuinely struggle because i don't know like i don't know what we have to look forward to in the market and <laughs> is it a lack of just overall capital in the ecosystem has all the talent just been drained right back to silicon valley uh front you know as as, as salty would would uh, make fun of us for from the neat life to back to the you know the, the software engineer life, yeah. Right, like it's it, like a new ecosystem and and new a new stimulus airdrop to the ecosystem does not make for doomsday uh, yeah. in NFT yeah. land. Let alone the fact that it's already bounced and it would have been a very profitable trade to to buy the blood across across the board yesterday. Right, so yeah. it's not. I know we're going to talk about it a lot this upcoming hour, but I'm honestly just exhausted. Uh, All right, that makes sense. I mean, listen, I I think part of it is like, 
this is what I've kind of come across, which is interesting, is like the just general exhaustion of crypto Twitter or NFT Twitter and the hot take need. And and the I, the thing that drives me crazy about this space, and, and I think probably everybody here agrees in some ways, the reactionary nature of it. And and really, it's it's not just NFTs. It's all of crypto. And I think in part, it's it's almost like an abused uh, sibling, uh, spouse syndrome, right? Like people who have been through a lot of 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 battling up and down and a lot of people whose bags are way down every time something happens where they see movement they they tend to want to blame and they want to push out again and i think that's part of what we're looking at i do have one specific question that i want to dig into because it's something i'm really interested in this space and i think grant you or maybe even eric would have an interesting take on this which is this idea that um, Blur is establishing a new marketplace um, and that conceivably there could be new wallets or new liquidity that comes into a Blur system. Do you think that Blur has a, has a way, based on now that it's got a more, there's like a kind of a stable liquidity system through the bidding system for right now at least, that, that institutional investors, people are going to see it and they're going to be like, oh, okay, I understand how NFTs could be an actual like non like kind of like uh, uh, guessing investment, but there's more there's more to this that I could find. Do you think that like it's going to draw in money from that side? Because I think the tricky thing is obviously it's not going to probably draw draw a new retail investment, right? At least at least that's not what their business plan is. It looks like they're much more you know uh, they're much more aimed at the both heavy trader um, collect, uh, heavy trader of NFTs. But I also am curious like. Do you think that people from the DeFi space, people who are, say, from the larger crypto space are going to see Blur and be like, okay, I understand now how I can invest in NFTs? Is, is there going to be an onboarding of those people? I think you're already starting to see it, right? Um, and I think the reality is, you know, if you, if you rewind back to three weeks ago when we were sort of talking about um, potential price action on Blur ahead of the token launch, um, I think most of us probably would have said 30 to 50 cents um, is where the range would settle out. And, you know, now we're starting, even after a big move lower, we're starting, we're, start, we're kind of in that 70 to 85 cent range. Um, and, and so, you know, and, and looking at sort of how active Pac-Man has been in across sort of most of the major DeFi spaces, I think you've had pretty meaningful onboarding of institutional investors who just say, um, you know, NFTs as an asset class are still too illiquid right now, but I can now own this marketplace token that acts as proxy for, for, for sort of the general space in the aggregate. Um, and, you know, that's how I want to position for it. Right. And I think, I think the interest there has always been pretty, pretty good because before this, you know, institutional investors were marking OpenSea at a $13.3 billion valuation. Um, and they weren't the only ones. And so yeah, I, I think that I think that institutional onboarding is happening. Um, but it, it's a it's a question of like what sort of institutions that that you know you're talking about because because it, that that is a very wide spectrum. Um, you know, you have like early stage venture capital funds, um, you have like sort of token focused uh, funds, um, you know, with with I would say like post the capital that they can develop that deploy that are maybe in like the seven to eight figures. Uh, and then you on the other end of the spectrum, you have like the super, super, super large institutions like the Black Rocks of the world. You know, and I think we're still obviously 
probably a ways off from from them allocating meaningfully into the space. But at least now, there is like another viable higher liquidity vector um, to do this because you know, like I think I think there there's a stat- statistic that you know, um, NFT statistics put out yesterday um, that actually I thought was pretty informative, which is. You know, for most of the collections that when you look at them, like only 10% of the collection really ever trades across like the top projects. And the majority of the residuals are just kind of being held across by, by collectors. Um, you know, it's like that setup just makes it very, very difficult for an actual institution to deploy in size in the specific asset. So I think, I think going forward, like, you know, how they allocate is really once there are more token proxies for the space, that's where we're going to see more incremental uh, institutional um, institutional interest because it's just much, much, much easier to scale. Right. Okay. That makes sense. And I, I think that that's one of the things that I'm really curious about going forward to kind of see. Um, I mean, Salty, as somebody who's spent a lot of time, one of the things I'm also curious and going back to grants, like uh, going back to grants, like uh, talking about the criticisms and the fun against Blur. One of the things that makes me laugh the most is like that Blur has taken the fun out of NFTs, that it becomes more of just like uh, trading shit coins. But, you know, it's like I think that we all kind of agree that in some ways trading NFTs as shit coins has been a thing for quite a while. Uh, Salty, I'm kind of curious as your from your perspective, like somebody who's like done a lot of DeFi stuff and worked in a bunch of weird dApps and stuff like that, just from a standpoint of like what your take on the blur experience is, uh, especially now that it's kind of like really kind of, I think grown into a majority player in this space. Like, I mean, are you, do you have any issues with it? What is your, what is your kind of take on the overall kind of blur experience? Yeah, I don't, um, no, I'm, I'm part of the audience in this, uh, uh, fee discussion and everything because it's just not something I spend a lot of time thinking about or or have a huge stake in. Um, but blur. So a few things, you know, I I listen to some of uh, Pac-Man's. You know, uh, they, they put out a lot of content this week talking about stuff. I thought it was interesting. You know, he he rightly criticized uh, the incentivization of volume because then you just get fake volume. Uh, and they wanted to incentivize liquidity. And um, that requires people making offers, and liquidity is real. You can't fake liquidity the way you fake volume, which is good because this is a perennial DeFi problem, is how do you have liquidity, extract and keep liquidity? How do you do that cheaply so that your project can sustain the liquidity? Uh, how do you reward the liquidity? Um, and you know, cause, cause people who, who naively LP generally lose money. That's called impermanent loss. Um, so, so Pac-Man, I think pointed out a, a really, you know, a critical problem there is how do you get liquidity and how do you get, um, you know, uh, people here who are willing to put money up. And, and so then we saw that, um, so, so then like hundreds of millions of dollars flooded into blur, uh, and we're, we're making these bids, uh, and we saw you know that that dump of millions and millions of dollars of apes and the floor didn't budge and then the next day the floor collapsed and then it's recovering um and and so this this is exactly what happens uh in in the defi space too is is people talk about tvl total value locked but it's never really locked unless you make make people like escrow the capital 
So yes, all that liquidity floods in, but it does flood in, uh, from my view, in a similar way to the volume flooding in is that liquidity doesn't actually want to be there. It's it's scared. It's scared liquidity the same way in a lot of shit coins, it gets scared liquidity because when that liquidity actually got used, the market convulsed. Now, I'm not saying this is bad or good, and it's clearly a better model than, than looks and, and incentivizing volume. But uh, this is a really challenging problem. And, you know, DeFi is on its third or fourth iteration on how do you, how do you incentivize, attract, and keep liquidity. Um, because that's, a, that's the lifeblood of a, of a token. And, and NFTs have much more narrative uh, and other things that can sustain them beyond just floor prices, which I think is super interesting. But, you know, what Blur has looked like right now, and I don't mean this in a negative way, is kind of like the pool two season of DeFi, the farm and dump mm. season, where everybody is willing to risk their liquidity. So wash trading and, and volume faking is not a risk. So so the right thing was done by forcing people to actually take a risk if they wanted a benefit. So so people risk their liquidity, but they don't really want the board apes. They're not bidding because they actually want a board ape. The same way you're not putting liquidity into a shitcoin farm because you actually want the shitcoin. What you want is the rewards from it, and we call that pool two in the in the DeFi world. And that was like DeFi 1.0, kind of like everybody would stake, you know, pancake swap, sushi swap early on, all these things. You would stake these shitcoins and get 10,000% APR and then dump the tokens. So Blur is not exactly that, but it is still the same thing as people who don't actually want to provide liquidity are taking the risk to provide liquidity, but then, you know, hope that they'll get something back and then sell it. Of course, that's not all the play, the, the case. There, there are people who actually want to buy the apes and are bidding meaningfully. And, and again, I don't think this is a bad thing or a criticism because that liquidity was very real because you could you could sell into it. Yeah, I was going to say, I think that this kind of goes back to what Grant was saying earlier, which is just like, it is the first time that we've seen a, a, a significant shift in the way that things are happening. And like, we should just take a step back and say like, okay, everybody, like, this is interesting. Like, it's even, you can have whatever feeling you want about it, but it's it's interesting. And we have to kind of sit in it and be like, okay, well, what what is this right now? And how is it going to affect everything? Um, hey, Grant, I have a question, uh, another question for you, which is just that like, when you look at at um, the ongoing kind of like what, what Salty is getting at is the, is the one criticism I do keep hearing and I kind of feel is interesting is that the incentivization is obviously based around and you see people like Machi or, or even Franklin or people who are really going hard on season two uh, farming that they're going that they're doing this to kind of just get the token and then to kind of dump it and then like it's always going to be a matter of what's next. Does do you think not? I mean, they, you, they, you know, obviously the Blur team's got their own thoughts on this, but like, do you think as a person observing this, say from the outside, that this is something that feels like it can be sustained, or do you feel like this is kind of a normal growth cycle in all new crypto things? That there's going to be a kind of a period where you're chasing this thing, and then it helps launch something else on the back of it, or that it just kind of like starts it up. Like, what what's your take on like the longevity of of what's happening right now? Yeah, I think, you know, um, without giving too direct an answer, that's what I've been angling at this whole time, both in our private chats and, and on this podcast, actually. I said ex very explicitly, like, I don't care what the token price is uh, on day one, day 10, uh, day 30, even, right? Like, to me, the way the tokenomics are set up and the way the team has been speaking publicly tells you that they believe they will win in the long run 
based on product. And that's, you know, if you're investing right now, you're, you're placing a bet that this team will continue to uh, outperform uh, the shallow moats that most um, NFT marketplaces have established to date, right? Um, as to Salty's point, like I actually like 100% agree, like from an objective perspective, what we saw in season one was probably more uh, akin to, shall we say, like normal NFT activity. Uh, and the beginning of season two is people saying, hey, look, there's this free money dangling in front of me, so I need to chase it with 100% of my capital or 150% of my capital if I'm using Bendao uh, and I'm being generous. Um, so inevitably, we're going to see a recalibration. Uh, remains to be seen if, you know, the last three days was like the extent of said recalibration of risk. Uh, risk being, you know, risking your, 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 your liquidity and your ETH. Uh, in order to farm, uh, you know, one half of the uh, the season two rewards on the on the line here. Um, so for me, I'm only interested basically the next year, next two years uh, before uh, inevitably we get another sort of peak of the cycle and we get actual uh, retail interest off the backs of uh, knock on wood here. Hopefully, some exciting NFT projects uh, <laughs> launching soon. Uh, and yeah, I just, I don't have, you know, a particularly intelligent take on, on what we're going to see, um, on how we're going to see season two play out. Right. Cause that's, that's really just human nature. Uh, what we saw was kind of like a local spike of greed, uh, and then, you know, a local spike of fear, uh, which kind of peaked yesterday and, and we'll see kind of where we go from there. I just wanted to hedge, you know, for a second and say uh, what I was saying also was not a criticism and I'm not I'm, I'm not saying you're saying that, but like I'm not I'm not trying to be critical in, in saying what I said, because these are not solved problems. There is no single protocol you can look to and say, ah, they figured out how to attract liquidity or they figured out how to keep liquidity in a way that the liquidity providers don't lose or, you know, these these are really hard problems. And uh, I mean, what Blur did was a great step because before them, the best financialization of NFTs was people going, uh, uh, I don't know, I guess we'll reward them for trading. <laughs> and of course, everybody just said, well, great, I can trade. I have 50 wallets, each with a thousand ETH. Of course I can trade. So so the fact that um, you know uh, Blur is even putting it in this light, that of course, we don't need to attract volume. No one cares unless you're, you're a parasite and, and your entire business is leeching fees off volume. Uh, of course, we don't need that. We need liquidity. Uh, so this is a great step. And and. And where this goes from here, you know, you can look to things in the DeFi world, but these are not solved problems. There are a lot of different models um, and some work better than others, but this is very hard to do, right? Yeah, I was going to say, is there is there a, uh, as somebody who doesn't have a, a deep knowledge of the DeFi space, is there a, a project you can point to, say, from the last cycle that has survived or kind of solved a problem like this? Is there anything that is that that has, like, stuck through using a similar model? Uh, I mean, I, I think this goes, goes to the question of is it the, is it the model or is it, is it the space? Right, is, is it the is, market, right. Yeah, it, you know, similar to, to NFTs, I think DeFi also struggled with um, the this this issue of it still being a very very small circle, um, not they're not really being great onboarding real uh, rails for retail, 
and and so you still end up in this constant game of musical chairs um where you know it's just it's just the same largely speaking the same guys kind of shuffling tokens back and forth from each other um and and good tokenomics and and liquidity provision system um can partially solve for that in the in the short run but it, they can't solve for these issues in the long run if if at the end of the day there's no external demand um because because you need external demand for people to want to provide liquidity right like you know if we're in a situation where the nft space and aggregate is growing a lot um and there's demand for projects like apes and then maki will want his liquidity to be sticky because you know what in the off chance that he wakes up and has 70 more apes um he knows that there is demand on the other side who can kind of pick those up at him you know potentially out of small profit um, and so he's not going to get rinsed out like he currently is on on on, on the by by like on that on on warehousing that risk, right? And and so it's it's just for me like, you know, I think we need govern better governance and better tokenomics in the space. Um, but but it doesn't solve for the fact that like it's just the business models aren't attracting demand, right? Like yeah. if if you do the comparison for you know quote unquote tokenomics versus shareholder rights in in public companies and you kind of look at like how public companies for the most part are structured you know shareholder rights honestly are are, are a bit of a joke unless you're a whale and right. so it's very much a similar to to similar to the to to DeFi or nfts but you know broadly speaking that that market has worked for a very long time because you have consistent external demand um and you know, business like nvidia microsoft or facebook like they're you know regardless of what the tokenomics were which in a lot of cases are very bad because in most cases the founder had disproportionate control um share price go up because because people want to own those businesses uh and people as a result like aggregate market makers are able are sophisticated enough and they're willing to like warehouse that kind of risk all right we just don't have that in mts and and DeFi as a whole right now right and this goes back to the point that like you can improve market efficiency, but you know if if you're if the complexion of of a project of the space are are largely speaking docket, it just means we get to zero faster. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. So that's not that's 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 kind of a you know it it I think it, it solves a major bottleneck in the space that has to be solved, but it doesn't. It's not a you know it's not even anywhere close to a, a to resolving the issue, which is fundamentally there's no demand um and and there's 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 actually pretty good reasons as to why there's no demand yeah well i was gonna say one of the things that i think is interesting listening as as salty said to kind of pac-man's media tour has been it's clear to me uh, that he's building this um now and has been building through the spare market to kind of like capture when when that demand comes back and obviously this is a great time to capture market share and has done an incredible job and like I think that the interesting thing about Blur as a long-term project is the assumption that crypto uh, runs in cycles and that we will have another bull market, you know, in the next year or two years. They are set up very, very well to capture a remarkable amount of the volume of NFTs, which I think is a really smart thing. And, and when you talk about Blur as a long-term play, I think it's really good. I have one other question before we, we move on to a couple other things. Wait, wait, is, hold on. Oh, I got it. Yep. 
I gotta say, one, I, I, I just want to take umbrage with Eric putting hard air quotes around tokenomics. It's a real <laughs> field. It's a real study. <laughs> they teach it in colleges now. Uh, and two, yes, I, I think uh, I would summarize what Eric's getting at with maybe a, a, a tautology or a truism of that um, good, good tokenomics, good token models, good financialization cannot fix a piece of shit product that nobody right. wants, but also really bad tokenomics or poor financialization can ruin a good product that people do want. Right. I would also, by the way, this is, I think also what Eric was getting at, and Eric, feel free to correct me, is that part of the issue is if the audience overall is not there, which I think is what we're talking about a little bit in terms of how many people are in the space right now and actively participating even good tokenomics may not be structurally sound. Is that is that fair, Eric? Yeah, like like put it this way, like um, it, you know, and, and I'll I'll abstract this a little more towards tokenomics and marketplaces, right? Like DoorDash is an amazing service, um, but if every restaurant delivers to you within your DoorDash network gives you violent diarrhea, then, then you're <laughs> not going to really enjoy or or get much utility out of it. And and so this is by and large the 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 I think the issue with the space is that I think we've seen tokenomics at work. Uh, we actually seen like tokenomics that can incentivize a lot of um, sticky liquidity. Uh, but the but the problem is just that you know just the products aren't there, right? And similarly with with marketplaces like Blur, um, we have a great product. We we have a great marketplace that incentivizes a lot of liquidity, which, which the space has never had before. Um, and that's had all sorts of really interesting second or third order impacts, particularly on in lending. Um, but the, the problem is like the, the projects that people still care about, like in the field of actually relevant projects have shrunk, you know, because six months ago, I could have said like, well, we got apes, we got Azuki's, we got punks, you know, we got, we, we have like Moonbirds, Doodles, like Clonex, right? And now like half of that field has actually imploded because, because, um, because the founders of those projects have actually sabotaged their own holders. Um, so it's just like, it's like a overall complexion has, has gotten actually worse um, despite us having a better marketplace product. And so what the, what the better marketplace product does is actually shine a light on that sooner. Yeah. And pushes you to that efficiency point faster, yeah. right? Um, and 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 that I think is is sort of, you know, at that, yeah, that that I I think is is really like, again, it, it's it's the problem here. Like the 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 issue is we just have a a huge lack of talent in the space in terms of being able to use deliver actual product that people want to use, um, and everything with that really happens is still overwhelmingly narrative and hype driven um and over time that just has to change yeah i the, so the thing i'm kind of curious about here and then we, we will move on to something else too is obviously so blur has made a, a very efficient market of nfts and, and we're seeing what's happening one of the things i keep wondering about and i don't know the answer to this and i don't know maybe grant you have an answer or maybe eric or salty is that because we're dealing with essentially a more efficient, say more DeFi-like market, but instead of dealing with, um, you know, tokens that have like, you know, millions of supply, oftentimes billions of supply, we're dealing with supplies that are of the, you know, in 10,000 range, 
Does that make this more volatile? Does it make a difference for the fact that like we're dealing with such small supply projects and, and how does that make the, the tokenomics of, of NFTs unique specifically when you're looking at it in a very market efficient way? Does, it, does anybody have an answer for that? I would say uh, briefly and more broadly that uh, the, the biggest efficiency problem to me is uh, the relative inability to short NFTs. So I think there's been some good work, although like, you know, paper names don't come to the top of my head right now, but like, it's basically impossible to have efficient markets if you can't short them. Um, so I think that's probably a bigger issue than the sheer number of tokens. Of course, when you talk about the number of tokens, well, what really matters is is the unit of account you can trade in. So the non-fractionalization of most projects and would be next on the list of things that cause inefficiency. I don't know about in practice, because if you look at NFTX and, and Pseudoswap and all these various pools, I don't know that being able to fractionally own an NFT really is that big of a deal. But I, I think, uh, you know, and there's projects like NFT Perp working on shorting, but they're relatively limited in beta. But just broadly, the fact that you cannot short uh, most projects the way you can short most tokens, I think, is, is the largest inefficiency, just in pure market terms. Actually, Salty, the interesting thing is is one of the con one of the consequences of, of Blur um, launching um, a lot of these sort of fractionalization walls have have been empty. Like I was looking on NFTX the other day, and basically any sort of Blur listed project that has a good bid wall, um, the the vaults have been gone. Like mm. it's completely barren. There's there's no liquidity left there. Um, and I think similarly, you see the same thing with PseudoSwap. So, so it, it's sort of like, you know, to your point, it kind of speaks to this idea of liquidity provisioning um, and the capital shifting towards what they perceive to be the most efficient pool of liquidity. You think, uh, you think those people were there because they were interested in selling and buying or they moved their NFTs and liquidity over because they were interested in uh, airdrop, like f future token emissions? Uh, I think I think more of the latter. It was the perception that market making on Blur was ultimately more profitable versus on on, on some of these older legacy platforms. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, I I I think that's probably likely too. But also that speaks to what it means and what it's like to attract liquidity. And of course, yeah. if the potential benefits of Blur are more generous, then that's where the liquidity flows. That's really interesting. I hadn't hadn't looked at those pools, but it makes perfect sense. Yeah, I think this is it. Goes again to the whole like defiification of of NFTs in some ways. Grant, I, I just to if I'm not sure if you have a take on this, but I'm kind of curious as to what your thoughts on the lending protocols that exist and how they're kind of running right now, specifically Bendow or others. Like, do you see these as like something that's gonna like that's useful in this space, or is it going to kind of wreck the space because of of the size of what's going on? If it is successful or if it wrecks the space is entirely dependent on human nature uh, and the participants of this ecosystem. I don't know Bend as well as Eric does, but if it is designed properly and there's no you know inherent corruption behind it, I'd view it uh, the exact same way I'd view Blur. It's a public utility that gives you more options uh, and more exposure to uh, and different ways to get exposure to the empty space. So how can it be a net negative unless 
you know, we're saying... <laughs> Unless we're saying the people? To, yeah. Franklin has so many assets and so much capital at risk that he's going to take us all down with him, which is not, you know, not outside of the realm of possibility, but to cast dispersions on onto Bendow itself is quite silly. And it's probably why I'm going to stick around in this space, because those are the takes that I see on my timeline every day. Yeah, yeah. And I think, well, I think the, actually the human nature part of this is a really interesting conversation, because the one theory that I always have, and, and this is somebody coming from a non-economic background, but like, you know, the, the, smaller the, the smaller the sample of the human nature, the more variety and, and wild uh, um, outliers you're going to get. And my only worry with where we're at with the NFTs right now is that the sample is pretty small and it was built up of some pretty significant outliers. I mean, one of the interesting things, obviously, we haven't discussed is Machi Big Brother, who is the person that is really like in one of, I think he's the number one bidding, uh, number one on, point, on the points board right now. Has done some pretty shady shit, right? Like we, there's some pretty shady shit in his background, and so like you've got these like interesting whales and people as outliers in the space and risk taking at the extreme, right? So, so my question, so Eric, this is a good question for you as somebody who knows Ben Dow a little bit. First of all, to Grant's point, like, do you feel like um, the protocol itself is is uh, is forthright and is is doing what they say they're going to do? Which I I think the answer is yes to that. But then two. Do you think there's a world where because of those extreme outliers of human nature that are part of the NFT space, that it could overall be not a great thing? Before Eric answers that, I, I don't feel like I was implicit, explicit enough in my last statement. I, I actually meant to call out VCs who have been just vilifying uh, Blur on the timeline last week. Most of them are uh, OpenSea bag holders or, or early investors in, in, in OpenSea. Some of them are not. Uh, and, you know, their portfolios are actually public. You can go on their website and see that they also invested in the financialization of art grails, uh, such as, right. you know, Fidenzas and whatnot. You know, it's not if we're going to cast aspersions on, on Matchy and Franklin, which I have no problem with, like I don't particularly like either of these individuals, we should also dive deep into the patrons of the space. Yes, that's fair. That's a total. And, and by the way, and I'm not trying to like point fingers in some ways, but I just want to kind of look, dig into the human nature side, which obviously also on the institutional side, the VC side, there have been some not great players as well. Um, okay, Eric, yeah. What were you going to say? Yeah, I, I think, I think, you know, so let's kind of highlight what, what the inception of Bandau and what, what it is to give a little more context, right? And so I just want to start with, with saying that I think the, the, the team there has done a great job in terms of making a peer-to-pool lending protocol that's gotten a lot of traction. Um, they have been really, really active in taking community feedback. Uh, and I think they they have, you know, they're, 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 it's a fairly commercial team that sort of identified like, okay, how do we attract the most um, borrowed demand? Uh, and then let's build towards, right? And so, so Ben Dow by design really caters, the one group that it really caters to is, is ape holders. Um, so if a, whether you have like a MAYC or a BAYC, you know, that's about like 90% of active deposits on the protocol. Um, and the team has done a lot of work in terms of facilitating quality of life improvement on um, being a Ben Dow borrower. So you know, if you're borrowing against your ape, you can still stake ape against it. You can claim airdrops. Um, you're able to do sort of all of the things that you 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 you're a, you're you're otherwise able to do. You know, if you just had the asset unencumbered, 
which by the way, like for me is, is kind of one of the limitations of NFT lending in aggregate is that as soon as you, as you put leverage against the asset, you lose access to it or you lose the capability to do like really critical things on it. Um, and that just really makes no sense to me because like in sort of any other financial market, um, when you put leverage against an asset, like you still have access to the assets in terms of being able to use it or being able to remarket it, right? Otherwise, it just makes no sense and it's super counterintuitive, but that's actually like standard practice in NFT. So, so I think like, you know, I'll start by like, you know, just putting out the good, which I think that the team really does mean well there and they've done a good job. Uh, I think I have nice, they have a, a really strong community. Um, the offside of that is that uh, this is essentially an Aave fork. Um, it was originally kind of conceived with um, the idea of just lending in DeFi in mind and NFTs are a different asset class. Um, and so there's just, there are certain things that I think are, are not well equipped when it comes to lending against the asset class. Um, I think like the auction mechanism is really, really clunky in terms of resolving defaults quickly. I think like their risk parameters in terms of how loans are priced and how risk price needs a lot of work. Um, and that's not something that I, I think that, by the way, is not specific to the team itself, but the broader part, like broader DeFi as a whole. Um, and, and overall, like they still have this really bad issue of like, if you have, um, if you have like your, your, if you, if you borrow against your NFT on Bendow, your ability to kind of remarket it on an actual marketplace of volume is severely limited. And so those are all the things that I think like are so very, very much incomplete when it comes to the product. Um, but look, there's over $200 million deposits um, of lending deposits sitting on Bendow. Um, I think, you know, there's clearly demand there. And I think one of the reasons that uh, what happened with, with sort of panic selling of apes yesterday was, was really short lived was because you can essentially, you could have essentially bought an ape at the lows, um, gone onto Bendow and basically gotten like 60 to 70% of your LTV, a, a, a loan that was 60 to 70% of your LTV and taken most of your principal risk out. Um, and so that access to leverage basically made it very, made the barrier to providing like, you know, providing a backstop against the falling price of, of apes very, very easy. Um, and, and so if you look at, if you actually go into the Bendow Discord and you look at the new loans taken out, a bunch of new loans were taken out yesterday, I think explicitly for that reason. So, so the, 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 the ability to really loop leverage and add leverage into the system does help, I think, in at least at sort of these, like in these like short term dislocations in, in, in terms of managing the downside risk and stabilizing the market. But on the offside of that, it's like, if it's not structured um, appropriately, and I think there's still a long ways to go there, you, you, you will, you know, when the situation does get to like a, a, a critical threshold, you do create a lot of aggregate systemic risk. But this is I, it, like, I, I'm going on a lot, but this is also like, but the systemic risks, I think, like versus four months ago are a lot better because blur now exists. And so, you know, even though you still have these clunky auction mechanisms, um, the idea of like sinking 50 to 60 apes into a market and going absolutely no bid, I think is, is no longer really the case. Um, and so the, that deep liquidity has actually been a massive subsidizing force for, I think, a lot of these lending protocols. Um, and now like lenders want to lend into the space, but there's 
you know, they're actually having to fight for a new loan. So the other reason that people were so uh, aggressive in taking out loans on BenDAO is because now net of the Ben token emission rewards, um, borrowing costs are actually negative. So you are getting paid to borrow on Ben right now. Yeah, actually, dive into that really quickly. I, I know that was a long answer, but very informative, I think, for a lot of people. Like, you, you say you're getting paid to, to, to lend on Ben Dow. Like, that can't last, right? Like, is that, explain to me, like, from in economic terms, like, how that's feasible. Um, it, it has, it's feasible because we now have a lot of back in the interest in NFT5. And as a result of that, the value of the Ben governance token has basically 5x from the beginning of the year. So, you know, you're, you're right now, like real interest rates in ETH for a loan are around like 26 to 28% on Ben down. So, so that's your APR on a, on a new loan. I, I think like before this run at the beginning of the year, you know, your reward token emissions were coming out to about like five to 6% um, of, your, of, your, of your loan principal. And so, you know, you're, if you assuming you were just selling the tokens, like to offset your interest costs, you know, you were paying net interest of 23%. Um, the difference now is that the token 5X, so you're, you're actually getting like closer to like a 27, 28% emission rate on the token, which once you net that out means you're actually being paid to borrow. You're right, like that, that's not gonna last forever. That's a function of sort of the secondary, like, or even tertiary flywheel effect of blur. Um, which has inadvertently provided a massive subsidy to these lending platforms. And, and so, you know, the way that this goes away is that, you know, eventually if the NFT market resets lower, there's going to be more perceived risk. The bank governance token drops the price uh, and ultimately people have to actually pay to borrow again. The other aspect of this is obviously like the emissions curve for Ben token is not going to be super linear forever. So at some point, emissions tail off and you get less of an APR for borrowing. Um, that incentive isn't as strong anymore, and then you end up paying the borrow. So I, I think like this is just this is just a temporary dislocation, but it's also it's also sort of efficient in the sense that you know pre-blur, people would look at these protocols, right? And BankDAO actually had like a pretty close shave in terms of a potential bank run, um, and just say like, well, I think the risk here is that you guys have cascading liquidations on a part of your loan book. You have to then sell the apes into like. 40 to 50 apes into a market that can't absorb them. Uh, and then it creates this negative death spiral where like the, the floor price cracks and you have more liquidations on the back end. Uh, and everything goes to shit and lenders take losses. Um, now that's really no longer the case because if they do have like a portion of the loan book that has to be liquidated, you know, there is the ability to basically sink those, the majority of those bids very quickly into blur bids and get everyone's money back. Um, and so the perceived risk of Perceived systemic risk at this point for those protocols has also gone a lot lower. And that I think feeds into like both demand from lenders to say, well, like I can lend into this protocol and I'm, not, I'm pretty confident I'm not going to take a haircut on my lend. Um, and it also creates demand for the tokens because it, it just, you reduce that, you reduce what was a pretty significant like risk factor. Yeah, I think that all makes sense. I mean, but it also reminds me of of a time not too long ago where Grant specifically had been calling out the, I think, Grant, correct me if I'm wrong, but Ben Dow liquidation as being kind of a systemic risk for possibly NFT prices. Like, and now we're talking about like, you know, Blur propping this up and then suddenly people kind of going ham on it again. 
Um, before we move on, I think Grant, my question is like, do you see if if let's like assume a world where like this this like kind of temporary boost is due to blur liquidity? And I know that there are other things that Blur has planned. Like, if if the liquidity kind of like dries up a bit, does Bendow? Do you feel like Bendow is a systemic risk again? Like you've you've mentioned before. It's a systemic risk because it allows, um, you know, human nature, human nature to play itself out uh, on a more accelerated timeline, and maybe that timeline outpaces um, the rate at which the market will return organically. If that makes sense. Yep, that makes sense. Um, okay, let's let unless anybody has anything else they want to say about this, I want to quickly move on to some some of the coin token stuff that I was talking about before. Anybody have any last words? All right, uh, let's switch over uh, from the NFT world a little bit to what I was getting at in the beginning, which is um, there is some interesting stuff happening in the token world right now. And, and I only say that because uh, in our coins channel, um, there's almost more activity than in the NFT channel, I would say. Um, Salty, what are some of the stuff you've been seeing? I know you've been looking at I mean, we could talk a little bit about what that stupid egg project is because the egg project had a little bit of a run. But I know you've been looking at ARB stuff. <laughs> okay, okay, fine. Let's not talk about eggs. Let's talk. But tell me about like you, I think you've been kind of highlighting some interesting stuff that might be happening on ARB and and why that's the case and what are you looking at? Uh, man, I don't know if anything I I was talking about on ARB is worth highlighting. It was just uh, <laughs> you know Ponzu after Ponzu after Ponzi. Um, so ARB. Um, I mean, ARBs just had some some uh, TVL increases, some net inflows of capital. And so there's hot projects. Things are popping. Um, you know, Camelot, Grail um, is ripping. Uh, Camelot had a token launching uh, mechanism, which is interesting. But those, uh, Trove was one of them that launched. And it was one other I can't even remember the name of. But those were mostly down only. There's this paradox that like, Oh, if you can get in early as a seed investor on things, you can like make money. But um, when those seed type rounds are public, like in public token sales, there then usually you can't make money. So like, if you're not, if you don't have some really special access and you're in a seed round, like don't set your hopes too high or an initial token sale or something like that. Um, I, I think it's worth remembering that Arb, you know, I think Arbitrum is a, a, a wonderful layer too, but. Uh, it's small, you know, like uh, Ethereum had, you know, a, a slight, very slight, like like less than half a percent bump in like, you know, liquidity or, or total value on the chain this week. And that little bump in liquidity is worth more than all of Arbitrum put together. Um, so, so that's I hilarious. Think, uh, you just got to be careful on the side chains or just, you know, stay frosty because um, I think... Uh, no profits accrue to mainnet. And so people are on right. Arbitrum and they're playing Ponzi's and they're doing other things, but they're going to eventually, you know, that, that liquidity will probably flow back out. You know, some of it definitely sticks around, but I mean, when there's a big rise in liquidity and, and everything's, you know, goes up in price, eventually most of those things will go down in price and that money will, some fraction of it will flow back out. So just, you know, talk to my, talk to my Canto thing. bags, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, but speaking of, um, L2s, I, I think it, it is worth mentioning, you know, Coinbase's uh, yeah, base. We should talk about it. Yeah. We should definitely talk about it. Well, you, why well, you want to, you want to kind of give the, the highlights of what it, what it is. Uh, 
Yes, uh, base is a, a, a optimistic roll-up, a layer two for Ethereum uh, that's going to be launched by Coinbase. Uh, it's using ex- like basically the exact same tech as Optimism, but an optimistic roll-up is just a type of roll-up, and there are uh, a few that exist. I think Arbitrum was originally an optimistic roll-up, but it's not technically anymore. Optimism, of course. Uh, what's the other one? Boba or, or something like that. And then there's other types of roll-ups, of course, the zero-knowledge ones like ZK Sync, which don't, uh, and then Maddox attempt to do a ZK Sync thing. Uh, none of those are like fully, fully functional yet. Right, so Coinbase is launching this L2. It's an optimistic roll-up. So, so it uses Ethereum as its finality and settlement layer, which I think is the bull case here. Um, but so, so uh, Base will not have its own gas token. It will use Ethereum as a gas token, also bullish for ETH. Uh, that probably saves them a lot of pain and suffering when it comes to like securities accusations or whatever. I don't know how permissioned it will be. You know, it will probably be like a full KYC type thing. But you know, of course, the the interest there is that that attracts very conservative and and uh, players. You know, people who are worried about being in the wild wild west is, is Coinbase is saying here's a place to build that's much more likely to be regulated or regulatable to to not fall afoul of some prosecutor with a chip on their shoulder. And, you know, Coinbase, I think, would implicitly, you know, be there supporting people and projects on the chain. So um, somebody on Twitter, maybe somebody like Chris Black or somebody was complaining about, oh, you know, Ethereum wants to be bankless and, 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 and you know, fight the big banks, but look at these big banks and corpos building on it. And it's like, I mean, this is is great like yes anyone can build on ethereum that's the whole point of being permissionless so so a dystopian horrible fascist government can build an l2 if they want yes anyone can build on top of ethereum so bank list doesn't mean no bankers are allowed no corporations are allowed i mean it's a ridiculous take that uh but this this is a big deal in that ethereum acting as the base layer the settlement layer the source of truth i mean that's the eth mega bull case and then and then people can use ETH directly, or they can build layer twos and rollups on top of it. And and Coinbase doing that is a huge step. And man, I mean, just one other corporation or bank building something like that. You no, know, I, I don't. I'm not saying CBDCs are going to be a good thing, but a government, a corporation, a bank, somebody building another L2. I mean, this really solidifies what a lot of us predicted Ethereum would become, which is a settlement layer, a finality layer. And then anyone can build anything on top of it. You can have a million corporate chains. They can be interoperable or not interoperable. Um, and and all that just leads to to cementing ETH as, as that source of truth. And it leads to burning and using. Yeah, it's it's pretty interesting to me. And I think that obviously in Coinbase's, you know, PR and it's PR. So just keep that in mind, like their goal is to like onboard the next billion users, which of course sounds mm-hmm. amazing in, in, on paper, but like it does feel like this is a, a chance to kind of take essentially kind of all of crypto to kind of a more mainstream level. And I don't know, I'm curious, you know, um, Grant or Eric, if you guys have a take on this, like obviously we've been in the place before where we've seen overblown announcements is this is this something that's worth paying attention to and do you think this could be meaningful for the space i i don't have a sophisticated take i i i own some of brian's stock so i i hope it works out well for him <laughs> i'm really, really glad it wasn't some weird announcement about nfts because buddy you yeah. already tried that and it hasn't yeah. stuck exactly coinbase nft version two the airdrop <laughs> 
Well, you talk about like a product that just crashed and burned and then like kind of keeps in people's minds. When you talk about narratives, it's just like, God, that is just like such a terrible version of understanding what a marketplace was, which, which by the way, makes me kind of bearish on, on many Coinbase products. But I mean, I think this has a chance of opening the door to stuff. I mean, I, Eric, do you think this is going to be a big deal to the TradFi world that they could see this and like open their eyes to crypto more? I mean, yeah, I think, I think, well, so let, let's kind of frame it like they made this, uh, I think when they made this announcement, right, all of mostly the Web3 side of the space thought it was incredibly bullish. Uh, and then Coinbase stock was down that day and TradFi didn't really care. Um, and I, I think that still kind of speaks to the, the, the limited technical understanding of what the implications are here. Um, for Coinbase and and also you know the the ecosystem as a whole. So yeah, like I don't, I don't really I think Salty covered it really well. I don't really have anything super insightful to on top, add on top of that. But it it just you know one of the largest public facing companies that I think been the vanguard of of sort of you know pro crypto regulatory action within the states um, is publicly adopting an L two solution and and. Uh, companies and startups, a lot of companies and startups have already announced that they're going to build on top of it. So yeah, I think that's incredibly bullish. And I, I think that sort of is, is, is like, you know, it is institutional affirmation that the L2 scaling is going to be the way to go. Um, and it's not just, you know, it, it's not just like some theoretical um, vapor where we go and we play like, we play bridge world or or whatever other game <laughs> where you know everything like nothing really works right in hopes of in hopes of farming enough volume for an airdrop um so yeah like you know i like this announcement i think unlike the nft marketplace i i, I i'm hope i think this is something that actually maybe coinbase can execute on because it's more focused on infrastructure versus like a consumer facing product um but yeah like you know, it, this is it, we, we we sort of need more of this. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right, that makes sense. Let me. Uh, um, oh, if ahead. we have a little more time, and I I just want to add briefly that like you know, when I say too that this is bullish, like I, I'm not worried about the price that much. Like, yeah, burn more Ethereum, that's great. But this is like, I mean, this is the future. I think a lot of us wanted to see is. Uh, I, I like giving history, you know, in this podcast. So you know, if if you were around in 2017, 2016 even uh, the, the cycle before that, um, attempts were made. So many blockchains, uh, uh, like VeChain, I don't even remember all of them, Like, but everybody said, we're going to build the blockchain for international shipping. We're going to build the blockchain for logistics. Yeah. We're going to build the blockchain for tracking food. And, you know, it's like every, we're blockchain for everything. And none of that happened. Like, it's it's all vaporware. No companies adopted it. The ones that do, you know, it's it's nothing but lip service, right? Like, it was, it was failed project after failed project. So this... Uh, far more real i think and and like eric said you know coinbase has the, the technical and hopefully regulatory legal abilities to pull it off so this is something that you know people have talked about for a long time but really never came to fruition and i think part of that's because no one needed a l1 like you didn't need to build your own blockchain to do a bunch of this stuff but man if you can build a roll-up or use a corporate uh you know legally already good to go roll-up the the barriers are so much lower 
know, we can do this stuff that historically people have wanted to do, and that is just a great direction for the space to head. And if you don't want the KYC, you don't want the bank and corporate roll-up, just don't use that roll-up, right? Just use base Ethereum, use Optimism or something else. Of course, this is good for Coinbase too because they can get sequencer fees and, and you know, controlling the network allows, uh, you know, should be profitable for them. And like Eric said too, the fact that this is happening in the U.S., a heavily regulated area as opposed to like some random you know tax haven country starting their own like government or corporate l2 that's a big deal too so i'm I'm sure there will be lawsuits or whatever you know like things won't go super smoothly but uh there this is bullish for the narrative for the future for for how things get built um it also makes me think of things like eigenlayer you know um eigenlayer is working on you know basically co-opting or borrowing the trustlessness uh, of the Ethereum node network to build other things on top of. And so really, uh, Ethereum is is really positioning itself and has been positioned to become this base layer, this substrate for trustlessness, for immutability. Uh, and there are so many cool things that can be built on top of that, not just like all this Alt L1 stuff competing with that. And this isn't to say other Alt L1s don't have you know, good... Uh, business propositions as well but uh you know bitcoin could not be this bitcoin is a great substrate just as a single store of value and now with nfts yay ordinals uh but you can't build all this type of stuff on bitcoin as a as a base layer for for truth and and settlements uh anywhere near as easily as ethereum that all i think that all really tracks with me in an interesting way um and I guess we'll see what happens with it. I think that the the thing both of you referred to, which I think is important, is it's clear that Coinbase, consider, considering the, the issues that have come up with the SEC, uh, with Kraken and other things like that, they wouldn't have made this announcement if they didn't have some sensibility that this was a politically, you know, maybe not approved, but politically okay thing. And I think that's an important part of this whole conversation, too, as we move forward. Um, okay, we should we should wrap up. We've been going for a while here. Okay, just one more joke. When they dropped that tweet, I think Grant or somebody said that their legal team is going to be as bald as Brian is. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> losing all their hair. <laughs> yeah, the, the the first thing that popped into my head when when I found out it was you know supporting optimism was like imagine how much money they could have thrown at this if they. Uh, hadn't poached that guy from Google to to create their own NFT marketplace. Exactly, exactly. That dude they made out well. That... <laughs> yeah, he did very well. He did very well. Um, okay, let's wrap it up. Um, I did come to Grant's favorite time of the program. Um, I'm going to start with someone else so that Grant has time to think about it. Uh, Eric, what is something you are looking forward to in the market this week? Um, I am I am looking forward to the market. Um, kind of moving on from, you know the sort of this back and forth with Blur and everybody remembering the fact that Ryan Carson officially quit NFTs on Friday, <laughs> uh, which I think is 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 hilarious for so many different reasons. Oh, Ryan. It is a quite, it is quite a, a, a drama. There was a tearful goodbye. Uh, definitely you should read up on it because it is a fascinating drama. It's so hilarious sometimes with NFTs become uh reality tv and that's felt very much like what it was but yeah interesting um okay that's fair uh salty what about you what are you looking forward to this week i don't know you know we didn't talk about macro much this week but you know we had a nice little dip yesterday so i'm there are things i'm keeping my eye on to see if they retrace uh 
I'm looking forward to more senseless argumentation about mutability and immutability. And I, I hope, you know, people use these kind of things to learn about, you know, which protocols they invest in uh, are mutable and are run by multi-sigs by people they may or may not want to trust. Uh, there are, of course, al always DeFi products building and launching. Um, one I'll mention that I, I'm shocked has not gotten more traction so far. And I, you know, I bought some tokens of this when they uh, did their liquidity bootstrapping. So not financial advice is timeless. Timeless Finance is trying to build um, a curve layer for emissions and gauges on top of Uniswap. Uh, you know, and Uniswap's the biggest DEX, and I don't see that changing anytime soon, but there's really no game to be played there, and most naive LPs on there just lose money. So I'm looking forward to and something like GammaSwap, too. I'm, I'm still looking forward to pro projects, all, all the solidly forks, solidly DEX forks, projects that are still working on uh, making it possible for retail people to LP and and provide liquidity and not just lose which will draw more people into the space who want just a reasonable return on some of their risk assets. That makes sense. Um, all right. What about you, Grant? What are you looking forward to? You could give me another hour to think, and I <laughs> couldn't give you a concrete answer. Uh, and that's just, it's sad, isn't it? It is. It is very uh, sad. You know, there, there's a couple of projects on, on Ethan and Polygon that, you know, I'm, I'm tracking, but neither are, unfortunately, in my opinion, like, going to be tectonic shifts uh to the ecosystem which is like bluntly what we need right yeah, and we haven't right. had that for a you year. want to say what they are or not say it no because i, I have whitelists and i don't want to uh, oh are these nft things not tokens yeah these, these are nft things right you're afraid that five people that listen to that this 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 podcast are going to ape and, and move the price <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, I want to be ethical, even in theory. All area. seven of our <laughs> listeners are going to eat up the floor. Yeah, I, I don't want my mother buying, uh, buying, you know, Momogoro on, on secondary that, at, at the Pico top. That's fair. That's fair. Um, yeah, she's she's one of five listeners to our very very popular. <laughs> that's awesome. Cast. Um, on the coin side, I think you know Arbitrum is what everyone ostensibly is looking forward to, uh, but it that just you know kind of seems like. They don't know when the right time is yeah. to launch, and that becomes like, you know, when that becomes the leading problem for your ecosystem. I, I kind of have some long-term questions, to be quite frank. I completely agree. I think it's I think it's weird that there isn't a like a kind of narrative there, and it just seems to be continual like you know questioning of like what's happening, which is not a good thing. Um, okay, very quickly for me, what I'm looking forward to, and I, I may have said this before, but I, I keep expecting there to be a project that smart smart people have built and is going to drop as a surprise in this environment we're in right now, which is like pretty liquid, weirdly. So like I, I point out like something like Goblins from like whatever last May or whatever it was. It's so long ago now. But like I expect there to be a project that will be a, a stealth drop. And I'm not saying Goblins is, was a project that was designed to be a long-term project, but I'm expecting there to be smart people who recognize that right now there is possibility to take a project from zero to quite high quickly if it's good, right? So I think that what's interesting to me is I've been watching all the, you know, kind of lower end movement on stuff. The high end movement obviously is, is what we've talked about all for this entire show is driven by blur bit points. There, there is like this, I can see projects launch that are pretty shitty projects. And there's this like, this kind of lack, lack of ability to like kind of 
fully deploy liquidity into them, fully deploy money into them. And I think if a good project that was worked on for a while, stealth launched right now, it could go ballistic. And so I expect there's got to be at least a few teams out there that have been thinking about this, that have been prepping for this. And I sure hope they're not waiting for too much longer to, 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 to launch because I think who knows how much longer this exists. But I think if a project came out and got some buzz that was a surprise, I think you could see it go really crazy really fast. So I, I, I keep thinking something like that's out there, but I don't know. Like, I think that this is where I get back to like, I think there's an underserving of the idea of what you can do with a stealth launch in the NFT space. And I think there's been an overserving of the whitelist meta around like how to build something over time. If you want to do a really interesting launch, like, and you and you have to have all your ducks in a row. I'm not saying like just to throw a thing out there, just to throw it out there. But if you have all your ducks in a row, a stealth launch can really unlock a lot of interesting capital in this space. So I, I, I hope, I hope that there's something out there that's kind of prepping for it because it kind of feels like the space is primed for it. So that's that's what I'm looking forward to. Whether it's real or not, I have no idea. Um, but I hope it is. Um. Okay, I think that's it for the week. Um, anybody else have anything else you want to say before we before we go away? All right, everybody, let's call it a let's call it an episode. Thanks so much for listening. Um, we are Midcurve. Uh, follow us on Twitter at Midcurve M I D C U R V E for uh, <laughs> a smattering of tweets and interesting stuff. Uh, just as a quick background, uh, we are you know as I said at the top of the show, a private Discord of a bunch of interesting people that kind of came together in very many different ways who have a very uh, interest, uh, deep interest in the NFT and DeFi markets. Um, thank you to Pomp and Richie for helping put this thing together and we will see you all next week. Bye everybody. Bye.